which Judah taught and two of which Alan taught, uh, the theme has been Stand Firm, and it was based mostly on um, the book of Ephesians. Uh, and I'm not going to stray too far from that theme. Uh, so a lot of what you may hear may simply be a review, uh, but a, probably a review from a different perspective, uh, uh, just a different approach to it, but pretty much um, the same things uh, to reinforce this idea in the importance of standing firm in this place that we have been uh, made alive in. Um, so the, um, the theme for my uh, two-part series is called The Invisible War. And part one here is called Training for Battle. Now, well, that didn't work. Do I have it on? Yeah. You may have to be my fingers. We'll try it one more time. There we go. Germs. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want a response. How many of you believe in germs? Okay, that's pretty good. I think most of you believe in germs. How many, with the naked eye, have seen germs? Well, I'm going to tell you a story, and this goes back to when I was a kid. I was maybe four years old, five years old, and we're in the, maybe a little older, we're in the late 1950s. And they had a half-hour show on that was called Tarzan of the Jungle. Anything, a kid at six or seven or five, I don't remember how old I was, but I watched it faithfully. And Johnny Weissmiller was the Tarzan, and he would swing through the jungle on these vines and always wrestled a crocodile or he always wrestled a lion, you know, and that was really thrilling. Um, but one day, coming through the jungle was this safari, and they were scientists. And they had these microscopes, and they showed Tarzan the bacteria in the water. And Tarzan, and this is pretty much a quote, there are no bugs in my water. But there they were. And I think that what happened is I went to ask my mother about germs. Because I didn't know a whole lot about germs, and she really didn't know anything about germs. She said, you can't see germs. And I was, oh, come on, you can't see germs? She said, no. Well, I'm here to tell you today that I can see germs. It's amazing. And I remember sitting, sitting in a room and the sunlight was coming through. And in that sort of sunlight, there were thousands of these little things that I could see. And I was convinced I could see germs. It wasn't until, I guess, last year that I realized that they were dust particles. <laughs> dust particles, not germs. And so I'm asked to in this world that I live in, 
to believe in something that I really can't see. I can't see germs. I'm sorry. And if any of you can, I know we have those who use microscopes and they see germs. And there are all kinds of germs. There are four categories of germs. Uh, and I'm not going to go through them because that's, you would catch me. That's the most I know about germs. Colossians 1.16 tells us that by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him, including what we would call an invisible world. We would call that a spiritual world. Now, I read, and, our, and I don't know how old the, the survey was, but it was a survey of church-going Christians. And the question was, do you believe in Satan? And 40% of those who responded said, no way, I do not believe in Satan. 40%. Now what they did say was they believed that he was a personification of evil. But he wasn't real. Now, whether you like it or not, we have been brought into a different life. We have been made new by the Spirit of God, and he has given us eyes to see things that others can't see. Second Corinthians, Paul writes to us, he says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And Scripture tells us that what we see here is going to pass away at some time. But the things that we cannot see, they are eternal. Jesus is talking, and he's giving this parable, and he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, I have found that a sort of a confusing statement. But what he's talking about, he's talking about whether you have spiritual eyes to see spiritual things. And if you don't have spiritual eyes to see spiritual things, then your body, you're just not perceiving um, to sort of give you that example, an example of that, uh, we can be, my wife and I can be driving along, and I'll see a small herd of deer, and I'll say, oh, did you see, and the third, did you see the third deer was a, was a, was a buck? And she'll look over at me and say, how in the world did you see that to begin with? And then how did you see that was a buck? 
or I'll be driving along. Did you see the flock of turkeys there? What turkeys? And part of all of that is when I, my, my, my dad had me in the woods when I was six years old. I don't tell, don't tell you, you know who, but don't. <laughs> he gave me these firearms. And I learned to have forest eyes. I learned to find out where trails were. I learned to be able to spot movement and deer and things, and I could see things. And so when I'm driving along, it's not a big deal for me to say, oh, did you see that herd? Now, of course, the opposite is very true because when my wife and I are in a store, a mall of some sort, she would say, oh, did you see that dress back there? No dress. There are a thousand dresses. No, the one I would like. Yeah, right. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm blind to certain things. But Jesus says, listen, I want you to understand that your eye needs to be trained to see what is spiritual and what is not. Now, as I unfold this teaching, I don't want you to get the idea that I think that there's this demon and a devil behind every rock. Um, you know, and here's the example I came up with. It's a pretty poor example, but, you know, a guy goes out and he buys a $40,000 car. And six months later, he says, oh, the devil's really got me in a financial position. No, you got yourself in a financial position. I don't give the devil credit. He's probably going to use something along that line, but let's not give him more credit than he needs. And so we are told in Scripture from Ephesians 6.12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And if you're one of those, if you're part of that 40% who doesn't believe it, It's important that you change your mind because Scripture tells us that we are in war. And this war is very real. And this war is intended to have you shift your eyes off a victory that has been given to you. These are a few, and I don't think that this is extensive. It's just off the top of my head. Uh, But the scripture does talk about spiritual beings. Uh, And it talks about benevolent beings that are being angels, the cherubim, seraphim, watchers, hosts, heavenly spirits, holy ones. Um, And I don't want to get into if there's a distinction between these or not. But the scripture talks about these unseen benevolent spirits. We're quick to talk about angels, we, 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 but we're not so quick to talk about the cherubim or the seraphim or what the holy ones are or the heavenly spirits. But there is also, as a result of a war that has taken place far beyond where we are, that there are those who intend to do us harm. 
And Scripture talks about them as demons, unclean spirits, Satan, the bulls of Bashan, and fallen angels. Now, if you're reading your Scriptures and you run across Satan, Satan has a lot of different names. Beelzebub, the great dragon, the god of this world, the prince of darkness, Lucifer, the devil, the accuser, the ruler of this world. And his intent, the scripture tells us, is he accuses you night and day before the throne of God. From the book of Revelation. He is accuser of the brethren. Because his goal is for you not to walk in victory. His goal is to accuse you. You're not good enough. What are you doing in church? You're in here with all these other good people. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? I see you. And he accuses us. And he uses whatever schemes, and his intent is to distract us. His intent is to kill us, to destroy us, to steal from us what we have been given in the cross of Jesus Christ. And we need to be trained to battle against that. Jesus, on the night that he was ready to be taken and crucified and tortured. He said, have you come out, he says this, come out with swords and clubs as against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Jesus understands that at that point that there was a battle that was going on. And he had been in this war from the very beginning. He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and he had taken his time at Gethsemane where he was in prayer and he said, if this can be taken from me, let's do it. No, not my will, but yours. I'll do this for a people to come. And I will overcome the power of darkness. And so we are reminded in Colossians 1.13, for he delivered us from that dark life that we lived, that dark where we were under the control of the great dragon. We were under control of the prince of darkness. We were under control. We were blind to truth. And he transferred us when he spoke to us and called us out of that darkness, and he said, I want you to enter my kingdom, my kingdom of light, my kingdom of truth, and I want you to be my children. And so you are. And I don't want you to be down here unarmed. And so Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, 
you know what, this is a simile, but he's like a roaring lion. He's got no teeth. That's all been stripped from him. But if I can bluff you, if I can roar loud enough, I may fool you. And the scripture says, resist him. Now, we don't know a whole lot in scripture about what happened and how this whole thing with Satan and the garden and all of this came about. But we're giving small snippets. And I want to take a few minutes and read Ezekiel. And this is from Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 19. And here we have a explanation of this cherub called Satan. He said, you had the seal of perfection. Now, this is God talking to Satan. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and the emerald. And the gold workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Isn't he? He was beautiful. He was God's creation. It goes on. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up before your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your own splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth. In the eyes of all who see you, All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will be no more. Don't think that there's a battle between God and the devil. There's not. You have become ashes. I'm going to go after these weak ones. I'm going to go after this creation that you made, these people that you brought out that you called man and woman. I will terrify them. I will destroy them. I will make them pay. But all the eyes who see you, Satan, 
They're appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will be no more. That's your end. You know, when I was thinking about this message, I thought back to some of my earlier days when I thought, I don't want to upset Satan. He's leaving me alone. <laughs> Why would I want to upset him? Why would I declare war on him? You just do your thing, stay away from me. And that is called fear. And that is called running from the truth. So we are in an invisible war, and we have an enemy. And the enemy's desire is to kill us. Spiritual warfare. Blessed be the Lord my strength, who teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Psalm 144. Now, from Judges 3, 1 to 3, I'm going to spend, I hope not too much time on that. Now, there are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formerly. Now, wait a minute. God left Canaanites and Amorites and all of those ites. He left them. Why? So that you might, so that they might be taught to war. Why didn't you get rid of all the demons? Why didn't you get rid of Satan? Why didn't you do all of that? Because I want you to learn to war. You're my child, and I want to train you how to fight. If you don't know how to fight, you're just going to run, and you're going to cower, and you're not going to be able to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. We'll get to that. Luke, Jesus says, The pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. So there is a training process that God wants us to go through. All Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God says, I think it's in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, that he gave us prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the training of the saints, that we might go and do the works of God. From Colossians 3, let the word spoken by Christ the Messiah 
have its home in your hearts and minds and dwell in you in all its riches as you teach and admonish and train one another in all insight and intelligence and wisdom in spiritual things. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to God with his grace in your heart. See, part of your responsibility, not only my responsibility, but your responsibility, is to be an encourager. Not a complainer. I didn't say complainer. Careful that. An encourager. There's a difference. You are to encourage one another and help one another and teach one another to watch out for the tricks and deceptions of the enemy. Now, looking ahead, next week, I'm going to talk about seven tactics that we can use in this battle. But I wanted to, this week, make sure that you understand how important your training is. And <clears throat> these are some biblical training words. To grow, to teach, to equip, to labor, to work, to learn, to test, to put on or to lay aside or to sanctify. They are all words that, in, <clears throat> that encourage you to move from where you are to a deeper spot, a stronger spot, that you may be the pupil, you may be the disciple of Christ. Now Joshua 4, and this is when they're going into the promised land led by Joshua, and the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses has spoken to them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord in the desert plains of Jericho. Now, I don't know about you, but I asked this question. Where did these 40,000 people, these 40,000 warriors come from? Well, we know that they walked in the wilderness for 40 years, but they just didn't sit around the campfire and moan. They must have been, in some fashion, training and equipping themselves to go into the, the battlefield. Because Scripture tells us that 40,000 were equipped for war and crossed, ready for battle. And if you take nothing else from today, I want you to understand that my task is to help equip you for battle. Because I can guarantee you this, as soon as you walk out of here, there's going to be war. Now that war's going on already, and you're in here uh, to get rested and equipped and ready to go out. And the enemy will use all sorts of things. He will use your relationships. He will use your job. He will use your school. All, and he will use deception. You'll think that it's an angel of light. I've, I've told you this story before, and it's worth, I have time to do it. It's worth one more time. The first time uh, ATM machines were just had just come out, and I had an ATM card, and I went to this, we were living outside of State College, and I thought, I need 20 bucks just to see how this thing works. 
I didn't have much more in my account. And I put this in, punched my number in. And, you know, you've heard this story before. And all of a sudden I hear click, 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 click. And all of a sudden $20 bills start flying out at me. Ah, praise God. Those were my words. Praise God. He loves me. Look at all the money he's giving. I mean, I'm serious. It was just flying out. And my, my wife, yes, she said, aren't you going to take that back in? What? It's a gift of God. Why would I? It's a bank. They got lots of this. They got lots of these 20s. kept 120, and I could still see the jaw drop on the teller, and I gave her all of these 20s. Are you crazy? Don't be tempted. Don't be tempted. It's God's will. No, it's not. It's God's will for you to be honest. It's God's will for you to return that. He gave it to me. No, he didn't. We need to be able to fight those spiritual battles. Now, I'm, not, I'm only going to tell you the ones I win. I'm not going to tell you all of the hundreds that I lose, okay? Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to cultivate and keep it. Now, that's an interesting word, keep it. Because if you look into the Hebrew, the Hebrew word keep means to guard. And I think, what, what, did, what was he to guard against? Duh. What was he to guard against? He's supposed to cultivate it and guard. Hmm, guard. wonder what he was to guard against. That was his charge, guard it. But the snake the craftiness of the snake, the deceitfulness of the snake. And by the way, if you really look at that passage, the snake never told the woman to eat it. Never told her to eat it. Told her what it would do and what it would make her, make her like God. Never told her to eat it. Deception. I didn't tell her to eat it. I didn't tell her to eat it. She made up her own mind. And so 1 Second Peter tells us, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. Be on your guard. You are, you are vulnerable. You can fall. You know, I told Sean, going to talk about it, but he's the head of our security here. And you may not know it, but we have security. We make sure the doors are locked. We make monitor who's coming in, who's coming out. We're on guard. He has a whole team ready to fight, ready to war, ready on guard. And the scripture admonition is, you, you need to be on guard. You have an enemy. You have an invisible enemy who wants to destroy you. 
that invisible enemy wants to take your eyes off the cross and the victory that has been given to you and your place in this new kingdom. And he'll do anything he can. 2 Corinthians, but I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You know, Alan talked about our minds last week when he was talking. He said, sometimes we are very double-minded people. Yeah, yeah, this way or that way. He said, don't let your mind stay alert because your enemy wants to confuse you. We'll talk about a sound mind next week, but I'm running out of time. Deuteronomy, when you go, here's the charge. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous, yeah, right, more (laughs) numerous than you, don't be afraid of them. For the Lord, your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, who set you free, who put you into his kingdom, who has given you life, not death, is with you. Now it shall come about that when you are approaching the battle, the priest shall come out near and speak to the people, and here's what he's going to say. Oh, hear Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them, for... The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and save you. Don't fear the enemy. Don't compromise. Be alert, because he's crafty. He's crafty. And I don't want him to deceive you. Luke 11, Jesus is talking. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. And you know who he's talking about there. He's talking about Satan. I got, this is my world. I have brought man into my realm, my realm of darkness. But when someone stronger than he attacks him, and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. Now Jesus came, and he stole, and he he didn't steal. He overcame the evil one, and he bought us new life, And he bought us a place in his kingdom, and he bought us an understanding that we are children, and as children we have rights, we are heirs, and he has given us weapons to say, no, Satan, you are not touching this. No, Satan, you are staying away from my children. No, Satan. You cannot, you cannot convince me that I'm not worthy because that's not what Scripture says. You cannot convince me. Be on guard. 
stand against. Psalm 18. He trains my hands for battle. He's training us. So that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. And your right hand upholds me. And your gentleness makes me great. You have enlarged my steps under me. And my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. And I did not turn back until they were consumed. Remember Alan teaching on Ziglag and how David strengthened himself in the Lord. And he asked the Lord, what should I do? He said, pursue and overtake. Don't let Satan back you into a corner. You pursue. You overtake. You've been given weapons to do that. And you have the Lord God with you. Hebrews 5, verses 14 says, by, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Years ago, and this is just me, years ago, when our kids were 11, 12 years old, 13, somewhere in there, Harry Potter was out. Harry Potter was the sweep of the nation. Everybody was reading Harry Potter. Everybody. And my wife read the first two books to preview, preview them. And she said, our kids will not read these books. They opened the door to too many things that will not be good for them. Now, I'm not saying that your kids, you know, I, I can't, I'm just telling you what decision we made. My daughter's now 42 and has read all of them. <laughs> but at the time, we didn't think that that would be good. And we had to use our senses. Is this good for my child or is it not? What will it do? I had to discern. Is this good, this bad? And so when you are placed in situations, you need to say, is this good or this bad? I need to discern. You know, and Paul talks about that in, in relationship to food offered to idols. Eh, you know, if, if it causes your brother to stumble, don't do it. But you want to have it in your home? Go ahead. Because you have the faith to eat it. 1 Timothy, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously laid about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Hey, Timothy was told, don't back out. This is a war. This is an invisible war. You've been trained. Fight that. And my last scripture Philippians 1.18, in no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Don't let you, <laughs> in no way be alarmed. Oh, I'm under attack. No, well, I've got, I've got weapons to fight this. I've been trained to war. Satan, be gone. Get thee behind me.
which is a sign of destruction for them. Where did they learn that? Rawr! Rawr! I'm not alarmed by you. You've been defeated. <laughs> I look at you and I see nothing more than ashes. And I know what your end is. Amen. Glory to God who has given us the victory. Yeah. Glory to God who has equipped us that we may be strong down here and resist the devil. That we may stand firm. Stand firm. And when you have done everything else, Stand firm. It's a military term. It means I draw a line in the sand and I go no further. I don't back up. This is where I stand. I will either die here or I will defeat the enemy. That's what that stand firm means. This is it. Right here. You can come at me all you want to. I'm not retreating, I'm not hiding. I'm not a coward. I will fight, and I know the end because I have a God who has provided salvation for me and has called me his own and said, we are in this together. Look out, Satan. This is my church. These are my people Don't roar at them, or they will put you where you belong. Amen? Amen. Amen. I have to turn it. I got it stuck in my pocket. You'll edit that out.